Welcome to the Avas Layer podcast. Avas Layer is an accelerator program focused on supporting entrepreneurs in the AI and blockchain industries through investment, mentorship, training, and a global network of resources. The aim of this podcast is to tell the stories of innovative startups through conversations with the founders and hopefully guide and inspire other entrepreneurs. My guest today is Ori Zuckerman. Ori is the CEO and co-founder of Substrata. Substrata helps dealmakers and sales professionals sell faster, smarter, and build stronger relationships with their clients. I hope you enjoy. Hey, Ori, how are you? I'm good, Ron. Tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll jump into Substrata and exactly what it is. So I'm uh, 39, married, live in uh, Tel Aviv, Israel. I served in the Naval Intelligence Unit, the Israeli IDF. And then basically after uh, my college, I just started my career. I initially a few startup companies, and then I started uh, founding my own, including uh, T-Rex, a gamification company, Dataviz, which was acquired by Evocative, uh, Discover Cloud, Discover SDK, and also You Know Me, that was acquired by uh, WeWork in uh, 2017. And today I'm leading uh, Substrata together with my two co-founders. Awesome. That sounds great. So you spent some time at WeWork. Tell us a little bit about that company, uh, You Know Me, that you sold to WeWork. How did you get to that? And then from making that company, how did you get to the point where WeWork is interested in you? Yeah, so that's actually an interesting story. So You Know Me was essentially something like done in Bradstreet on steroids, if you will. It was a sales intelligence company. What we did essentially is help companies get more prepared to sell or to do biz dev by making a lot of information about private company accessible so that they can learn more about their leads and gain some, some very good intelligence. And it started from an internal need that we had in a different company or like a group of companies called Value Shine, still exists in some form. And we basically just developed it in-house. And one thing led to another. We saw that this is something that we can actually sell to other companies. This is a good service. We raised some money. And we got uh, a bigger team to, to work on this. And, you know, one thing led to another. We started selling to companies, including Google and Amazon, Microsoft, and uh, Checkpoint and McKinsey. So, uh, you know, it was a success story. We also got uh, a few acquisition offers. Eventually, the company that acquired us was WeWork. And that was not a typical acquire as far as we were concerned. We were more like uh, thinking about companies like ZoomInfo or InsideView or Dun & Bradstreet, which was essentially one of our backers. It was in 2017. And WeWork just raised behind the scenes $4.4 billion from SoftBank. It was not published then. And they needed a good way to propel sales operations. And you know, it was a great tool. And also, I guess there was some, you know, political aspects like any acquisition. Some analysts used to compare uh, WeWork to Regis and other real estate companies. And the notion of, of, of buying tech companies, I call it nerds from Tel Aviv, was something that helped them build a different brand. And I think that was the approach in general. But there was an essential need in what we developed for WeWork. And after the acquisition, basically, you know, we became an internal tool for WeWork's sales executives and SDRs 
and the company stopped serving its previous clients. So it ended as a business around the time of the acquisition, maybe a few months later, many of our customers basically got you know, reimbursed for their upfront payments. But I think it's still used. I think it also added real estate related stuff to it. Like when your lease is going to expire, you can you can check you know private companies real estate aspects. That's very interesting. And then you spent some time actually working at WeWork, right? Which is where you got the idea for Substrata. Yeah, I'd say that's correct. At least the catalyst for Substrata. So WeWork was a great company to work for. We all know what what happened before uh, SoftBank took over, but it was like a huge startup with thousands of employees. So it had aspects that are you know similar to a large company and aspects that are similar to a startup. What I noticed, which is something I never noticed before, at least not to that extent, is that there's uh, plenty of politics around. And it's not just because it's WeWork. I mean, politics are prevalent in every large company. I personally was just not used to it because I always worked in small startups and I was mostly the CEO or at least a co-founder. So uh, I think it occurred to me that what if we could somehow reduce or kind of mitigate the negative effects of office politics, small politics, what would be the advantage? How much we can gain out of it? And my thoughts were, okay, the bigger the company, you know, the, the more <laughs> ROI you can, you can get out of it because a lot of the decisions are made based on the wrong interest. There's a lot of backstabbing going on in all these companies. So the initial thoughts were around trying to map out the real uh, organizational chart based on the analysis of the correspondence between people in the organization. In English, it means analyzing conversations on Slack and on email and trying to figure out who reports to who, not necessarily formally, but also non-formally. And on a grand scale, try to map out the org structure based on the many tribes, the real leaders, not necessarily those who were put there by the command. And that would allow us to pinpoint people who have more influence than their title conveys, people who can assume more responsibility and they should, or people that have you know big titles, they're not very helpful for their organization. So that initial idea for Substrata morphed into something else. It wasn't exactly what you started out thinking. It kind of changed into something else, right? Exactly. I mean, I think it occurred to me that it's going to be very hard to, um, to build a product or a successful company around uh, a solution that analyzes internal office politics. Because first, it's kind of ethically shady. And even if it's legit, it's still, I think no big organization wants to be involved in such a thing, especially not nowadays. And also, if you think about it, the leaders of every large organization themselves are masters of office politics. They don't want anybody to, you know, get into the nitty-gritty to the Game of Thrones kind of stuff that they've been doing. So I thought to myself, okay, maybe we can take the same technique and apply it to uh, a different field. Uh, where it makes more sense and there is no, you know, uh, ethical issues. And that area was actually sales. Most of the sales calls are recorded anyway. And it's, uh, you know, based on the permission of the client. 
And this is how Substrata came to be. Uh, the essence of it is let's analyze conversations, especially the nonverbal aspects of it, to help deal makers push deals forward and be more effective and more persuasive. That's great. So once you solidified your idea, you know you have something, what do you do next? Well, I was starting to look for the people who can join me, the right people. I found just accidentally my best friend from high school, Arani Sodi, um, a product maven, was, was an obvious you know, match. And I convinced him to, to quit his uh, job and join me. And then also Baruchi, our CTO, was an amazing opportunity with deep experience and deep learning. NLP, NLU, and linguistics in general, he was the perfect fit. So the team was the second stage. And then we basically started the journey. We did a lot of research, a lot of exploration, a lot of you know, building prototypes and trying them out and letting people use them and seeing the results. That was the initial part. So you did your research and you had to delve deep into, like you said, NLP, deep learning, how much of it was available for you to look at? How much of it you had to come up with on your own? How deep did you get into your research? Research part was cruel. And I think because we're touching an area that is somewhat taboo, I mean, most people are not very comfortable talking about subtext, what's also called pragmatics. Most people are not very comfortable talking about nonverbal communication. You know, people that I talk to, and I tell them that I deal with nonverbal communication, they think like I'm, I'm judging them or I'm analyzing them as they speak. That's not what's going on. I just can't do all these different uh, you know, operations simultaneously if I speak. I can't look because of these reasons, because of that taboo notion or, or semi-taboo and discomfort around these areas was a great opportunity, but also lots of hardships because there's little research done on these areas, at least scientific research. And also the, the application to you know, technological solution was very uh, scarce. So we really had to do in-depth research and also get on board people who are experts in this, mostly professors from the very different corners of the world, people who um, have very deep understanding in uh, language pragmatics which is essentially the social context of what we say and do, and also people who have expertise in multimodal deep learning, meaning the ability to fuse together information from different modalities, different types of inputs, text, audio, video, uh, and et cetera. So what exactly is pragmatics for people who don't know? What does that entail? So the thing about communication, human-to-human -human communication this way. We have uh, on the top there, we have syntax, which is the grammatical and uh, and or lexical layer of, of the messages. That's basically the stuff that we learn, you know, as we grow up. These are tools to convey messages and information. But underneath, we use, you know, when we think about robots speaking, usually they're semantically and pragmatically limited because communication is not just syntax, it's also semantics. Semantics is the meaning within the right context. We can use the same word or expression or phrase in many, many different ways. And this is gonna mean very different things for different, different people. 
So this is semantics. And this is very complex, very intricate. The deepest level, third le uh, level or layer is called pragmatics. And this is essentially the social context. Here we talk about the goals, the intentions, the social status perceptions, who's better than who. That's where politics happen. And if you look at it in a different way, we are speaking pragmatics with semantic and syntactic fluff. So we use all that language to deploy very limited amount of moves and and it's just about you know making them more hidden or making them less overt to an extent. So pragmatics is in NLP it's, it's considered to be the forefront. There are very little work done on pragmatics. We are one of those who are out there in that front. And if you look at stuff that are non-label at all, like body language, like like vocalics, which is prosody, pragmatics is there all the time. Okay, this is the social context of everything. This is the truth, so to speak, quote unquote. Wow, that's amazing. Um, okay, so you did your research, you found a solution to your problem. What comes next? Do you start developing the technology right away? How do you proceed to build a company around this idea? Well, um, it's a good question. There's no, you know, one way to do this. What we've done is we started small and large simultaneously. So small, from a product perspective, we started small. We've built an MVP, a minimal viable product that's going to help us, you know, get feedback as soon as possible and also kind of warm up our our products in R&D areas to make sure that we're productive. But on the other front, we also went you know, large. Um, and we started building the architecture that can cover what we need to cover. And that architecture is not very simplistic. It includes deep reinforcement learning models and specifically types of reinforcement that include humans. In it. It's called human in the loop reinforcement learning. It is a cutting edge on its own. So, we, you know, we rolled out the first product. We did an alpha. We tested it with some companies. We got some feedback, and we started rolling out more and more versions as time went by. So, I wanted to ask you. You touched on this before, but just to reiterate and make it clear, there are really no privacy concerns for your application, right? No one should be concerned about privacy while they're using the application that you're building. No, this is something that is very, very important to us. We're um, very much, you know, at the cutting edge of regulation. AI regulation is not fully in place yet, but we are following and strictly following the recommendations of CAHI, it's the European Union's Council deals with AI regulation. It's not even legislated yet, but it's going to, at least some parts of it. So we're making sure that we're very, very far from you know any kind of red line, and we stay far from any red line. Also, of course, we're all we're GDPR compliant, and, and also in the states, this is very important. Uh, such a solution cannot really exist unless uh, it abides to regulations in this. Area. Right, that makes sense. 
as I understand right now, you have the email, uh, the text system functioning and tested and you're working on audio, right? And then video comes next. Yeah, we're going multi-model. So uh, text uh, is part of the alpha and the beta. In emails, what we do is we analyze complete threads between sellers and buyers. And we determine for each message and each thread, the sentiment of uh, each message and also the relative confidence, whether the seller is indeed perceived as the relative expert and the more competent personality in the context of the topic at hand, which is very important. When it comes to audio, we're analyzing two big clusters of parameters. First, what's called LDs, low-level descriptors. We analyze the vocalics of people, the, the vocal the voice fundamentals. And the other cluster is called speech macros, where we analyze mutual things. For example, the patterns of interruptions between people mm. and what they mean, so on and so forth. I can't really get into the details because uh, there's IP considerations here. That's fine. And then you'll be moving on to video where you'll analyze also, I guess, facial expressions, bodily expressions, right? That's like the next step. Exactly. In video, it's called kinesics, not kinetics, but kinesics, and it includes facial expressions, body posture, hand gestures, and the combination of all these with the vocalics and what they mean. And the combination of all these two clusters with the transcription of the conversation, essentially the, the syntax. Yeah, it sounds amazing. And then beyond that, you said that um, analyzing a conversation between two people is difficult, but now if you're in a meeting with, let's say, six people or 10 people, that's going to be even more difficult, right? Yeah, that's also a part that we're going to cover sooner or later. It's already in the plans, it's in the roadmap, it's even in the demo. It's the analysis of group dynamics, because in complex deals, what happens is that you don't necessarily have just one person versus another person. You have group versus group. And this becomes very complicated because in each group, you usually have, you know, the, the alpha dog. It can be a, a, woman, a woman, it can be a man, but it, it's still an alpha dog that we're talking to. And that alpha dog needs to, to be able to establish some relationships with the alpha dog in the other group. And how do you identify that quickly? How do you understand if a, if a person that has been looped in to a new email thread is junior or senior? So it's possible to know that based on the way that person has been looped in. But sometimes a person is looped in, let's say it's you, and you don't really know what the history. So what you do, you usually ask a colleague to tell you, okay, what's going on? Who's against who? So this is really important. And the more complex the deal and the more you know transitions you have in the deal, sometimes deals uh, last for, for a year or more, and people leave the company and others join, and relationships need to be reestablished. So we help gather all this information and really pinpoint the different social roles in each interaction. Excellent. You're really tapping into human behavior and analyzing conversations beyond words. I listened to your other two podcasts, and there was a story there about you going to California to raise some money and 
getting your way and then trying to get more and then almost losing what you had. Can you talk about that and how that relates to the subtext of deal making? Sure. Although this is an embarrassing story and it's all my expense, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this. So it was in 2013, and I was raising money for one of my previous startups called Discover Cloud, which was a B2B marketplace for SaaS. And I was introduced to some ultra high net worth um, Mexican Jewish investors, and they were very non-techie. So they had no understanding of the technology and nothing business-wise or technology-wise was clear to them. The only thing that they could tell extremely well was if I'm truthful, if I'm reliable, if I'm somebody that can potentially make them money or lose it, which made it even more complex because I, every advantage that I had was, was basically obsolete. And it's always, it's always puts you in a very tense mode to be in the company of people who are extremely you know, successful, definitely more successful than you are, more powerful, richer, more established. So the story was that I, I entered the room and it was you know, ultra high net worth family, the father was there, and the uh, son was there, and the son-in-law was there. They were all partners, and they had this empire in Mexico, but it was being managed from San Diego, from La Jolla. And I was trying to raise a million dollars, and I got to a yes, essentially. But that yes came with a little term, and that little condition was, we're going to pay you that $1 million in 10 separate payments, equal payments, monthly payments. So in 10 months, you'll have the, the total $1 million in your bank account. I was fine with it, but I was still pretty young. And I, I said, this is too easy. I need to negate something. So I said, no, I have somebody else who's willing to pay you know, that million in one payment and it simplifies things. So it's either one payment or nothing. And the, the father there looked at me for a few cold seconds that lasted you know, a month. And he said, okay, we're done then, go to him. And I think at that time I froze. It was especially embarrassing because I had my co-founders with me at the table. They saw me in that frozen state. And I really couldn't speak. That's the truth. <laughs> for a good, you know, maybe it was 10 seconds, but it felt like a month. And that same person, father, saw me, and he basically, he uncovered my bluff. But he was kind enough to say, take the 10 payments, it's going to be fine. And I basically like, <laughs> I agreed, and I got the money. Uh, but that was, I think it was a, a bell that rang, that reminded me how important it is to back what you say, and to be prepared in these situations because it could have gotten to you know a whole different route if you walk up in a different mood. I guess the opportunity was lucrative enough for him to take the deal, but I was very close to losing it. I should have created you know some competition for real. I should have uh, negated something, but the way I did it was 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 off. Right. I was, I was luckier than I was you know was more fortunate and clever. But also like 
listening to that story, um, what you're trying to build right now would kind of help solve that problem if you could read into the subtext and understand that this person probably writing a check for a million dollars is nothing to them. You know, giving you the money in one lump sum was probably not a big deal to them, but there was some kind of motive behind him spreading it out into payments, either establishing himself as the alpha, establishing himself as in control. So reading into the subtext of what he was saying probably made you respond differently, right? Yeah, I think I was kind of uh, blind to the subtext. And what he was trying to do is clear to me today. He was playing. He was trying to find out what my limits are. And my response was just disproportionate to what he did. It was not fine enough. It was in the right direction, but not in the right intensity. And what you're saying is is very much true. Uh, Substrata helps unveil these pragmatic aspects of the relationship. So you can understand and be very aware at every single point in time of who's more competent than who, what's going on here, who's taking the lead, what you can do to flip a coin, what you can do to improve your position. Sometimes we're talking about very gradual, subtle moves that you need to make. Right. I think you have tremendous product and that you're going to be very successful. Since this podcast is geared towards entrepreneurs, who are looking to do basically what you're doing. If you could go back in time when you first started and talk to your younger self, what advice would you give yourself? Well, so many things, but I'll focus on the basics because I think they are relevant to whoever's out there. Really become an expert in your field is the best gift you can give yourself. Before you launch your product, before you go out to the market, before you try to convince investors to put money in your company, make sure that you are a complete believer in what you do. And not don't just say that. It's not a Tony Robbins thing <laughs> of if you say it and believe it, it's going to happen. Do the work. Invest the hours. Engage with people. Try to, to map the area. Try to understand what you don't know yet. Try to assess the gaps. And when you get in, do it with all these small disclaimers. Say, okay, I don't know everything, but this is what I do know. All these, when you sell an opportunity to an investor, that investor doesn't want you to be perfect or he doesn't want the opportunity to be devoid of all constraints or hardships. It just needs to be real. It needs to be you know, substantial enough. But that will be my, my first advice. Like, be thorough, do your homework, and you know, make sure that your belief in what you do is based on you know, the work and research and learnings that you've invested in, into this. One last question I have for you. So before you started this journey, what was your experience with pragmatics and AI and uh, natural language processing. It seems at this point, you have a pretty good grasp of these aspects of your business. Did you know anything about this or did you just learn this all as you're going? When it comes to pragmatics, 
I have a good intuition about this. But most of my knowledge was not scientifically based. It was not based on research. It was more based on popular literature, self-help books, and so on. So these self-help books sometimes have really very good and solid points. But it's a different level, you know, uh, knowing these things just out of intuition or feeling and really knowing, you know, what science know, knows about these things. When it comes to AI, I had a, um, I had a superficial understanding. Most of what I learned, I learned in the past two years, despite my previous experience in other startups. And this is another thing that's really important when it comes to, you know, entrepreneurship. Be a lifelong learner and really put time and effort into studying and learning new things. Use Udemy, Coursera, YouTube, Spotify podcasts, mingle, communicate, join Facebook groups, Instagram, Pinterest, every you know, media channel out there that you can utilize to watch the biggest hamburgers, you can also utilize it to learn yeah. AI, deep learning, reinforcement learning. Yeah. Use the same you know, uh, garbage tunnels to your advantage. I also found that um, going to meetups Right now, it's a little things are a little different, but I think they still hold meetups in uh, uh, virtually. But I found that going to meetups and actually, you know, meeting other people and talking to them, I think that also helps a lot. You're right on the money. I think it was um, they asked Bill Gates and Warren Buffett sum up what's the most important thing that you can do to be successful, and they both said the same exact thing: focus. If you focus and just keep working really hard at it, you can get to where you want to go. What do you think? Yeah, I totally agree. But I think it's also important that you know that focusing easily achieved. And to get that kind of focus, not only that you have to be a very you know, good manager of your own time and tasks and hobbies and and so and so forth, but it better connects to other things that you love so that it's easier for you to invest that time. Everything basically has to align together uh, to become one in order to pave the way. Right. You've got to have that kind of passion so everything is going to stick together. All right. Excellent. I'm out of questions. I enjoy talking to you. And, and every time I hear your story, it's even more inspiring I just want to say a little bit about your product. So right now you're in the beta phase, right? Yeah, we're we're pre pre beta. This is going to be rolled out in uh, hopefully this financial quarter, and we have an email extension that analyzes your threads programmatically, and also an audio supplement that analyzes your uh, Zoom calls. Oh wow! To determine who has the upper hand in each situation. So it's fascinating. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to find out more about Substrata, visit their website at substrata.me. See you next time.